very special guest who um, has done not only comic work, um, some film work and, you know, stage play as well, but uh, she has done quite a bit of comic book work as well. Um, we have a very special guest with us today. Welcome, Jill, to the show. Um, Jill, for people who, you know, may not know who you are, you know, haven't read anything outside of maybe Marvel or strict DC comics. Um, why don't you give a little rundown of, you know, what, h- how your time in the industry has been so far? Um, well, for people who are only reading Marvel or DC comics, I have worked on titles in both of those universes. Um, most notably, uh, Sandman, um, for Vertigo. Um, the Neil Gaiman comic book, and I uh, have a graphic novel called Wonder Woman, the True Amazon that won an Eisner Award for Best New Graphic Novel last year. Wait, yes, last last summer. <laughs> um, and then uh, other titles at DC that I've worked on have mostly been Vertigo titles, but when I first started there, I worked on Wonder Woman with George Perez, and uh, from then I went to Sandman, and then I worked on Black Orchid and Seekers Into the Mystery, and I did finals with Will Piper, and assorted things like The Little Endless Storybook, and Delirium's Party, and Death at Death's Door, which was a manga version of some Sandman uh, stories that I wrote. And um, I've done random things for Marvel uh, on and off, mostly like pinups and um, some, you know, uh, you know, bits and pieces in anthology stories. And uh, I did something uh, with Mark Andreco in a book called Marvel Shadows and Light, which I really liked, which was called The Date. And it was a Spider-Man story, but it was set kind of back in the 1960s, you know, in the origin of, of uh, Spider-Man. So it was kind of a very retro feel. So I've done a lot of things there. My own comic characters uh, are called the Scary Godmother is the first one. And that's now currently all of the stories are compiled and published by Dark Horse. And uh, another series called Magic Trixie, which is published by HarperCollins. And then I also do the illustrations for the book written by Evan Dorkin called Beasts of Burden, which is... um, it's kind of like Lady and the Tramp meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's a story of these dogs and a cat that are the supernatural protectors of their neighborhood. And it has also won some Eisner Awards. Um, I also worked on The Invisibles with Grant Morrison. And uh, I, I could probably continue to remember <laughs> things randomly as we go yeah. along. Uh, but it's not interesting to listen to someone list things. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's a pretty solid list right there. And, um, I mean, I think what, what people may know you most from is probably scary God, uh, scary Godmother, um, which was, well, I mean, it was a, a series of books that, um, unfortunately I'm unfamiliar with it. It's, I'm glad to hear that dark horse has collected it all. Cause that's, that's primarily how I read my stuff. So, um, is that uh, that that was a series of I guess illustrated novels that you uh, did back in what was it almost twenty years ago now? Oh goodness, uh, yeah, don't, uh, <laughs> definitely. That it was uh, first. It was I did four full color graphic novels, and then I did a bunch of comics, 
that were in black and white. And Dark Horses collected all the color material in one volume and all the black and white material in another volume. So there are two volumes out there. One has a green cover, one has a purple cover, and they are not the same thing, just in a hard cover and a soft cover. It's um, And then also Scary Godmother was adapted to a play here in Chicago at the Athenaeum Theater. And then that play was adapted for television and uh, The Scary Godmother uh, and The Scary Godmother, The Revenge of Jimmy were um, yearly Halloween shows on the Cartoon Network for like a decade. Yeah, I actually just watched uh, The Scary Godmother today, actually, with my uh, one-year-old. Yeah, he he uh, he really liked it. He was hooked. I thought I thought it was I thought it was really cute too. There was some nice, uh, there's some funny things that I found humorous, like the instead of roommates, it was my broommate and things like that. I was like, oh, that's so cute and funny. Like I I enjoyed it. It was good for adults as well. And my one year old was extremely entertained by it. So and he's not entertained well, by a lot. So oh, that's great. I'm that's I'm very happy to hear that. Um, yeah, when I do all ages material, I do it to amuse myself first and just make it accessible to children. I grew up watching, you know, Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, uh, which of course, when you're little, were, um, you know, enjoyed on one level. And then when you're an adult watching them, they were completely, you know, on a different level for you. There was humor mm-hmm. for both yeah. people in there. And thankfully I grew up in a multi-generational household. So, you know, that the fact that Bugs Bunny was of a certain era, any joke I didn't get, my my grandmother would, you know, she would explain to me who they were parodying or what movie they were parodying, or we would watch that movie because it was on, you know, like on one of the channels that had black and white movies on it. And I would, so I understood that kind of stuff. So when I try and do something that's technically G-rated, it's not... Um, something that's dumbed down it's just something that doesn't have graphic or offensive material in it but it can be enjoyed on on more than one level if you're a parent and have to read it to a child i want you to be able to uh do that multiple times without wanting to pull your eyes out yeah yeah no excellent job we we thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was really well done there's definitely some parts that kind of made me chuckle and i was like oh that's clever i like that so it was it was good it was really good so for those out there that haven't seen it be sure you watch it this halloween it's good well you would have to get it on it's run on the cartoon network ended the animation company that had its uh you know the ability to do that that their option or contract ran out with it so and they also had like a contract with the cartoon network so i mean you can find it i believe on youtube um some people have uploaded it there uh, and uh, both of them, uh, but you can also find, uh, there are DVDs of it, um, that were for sale and you can find those online. Sometimes you see them in, and I've seen them in Target and Walmart and stuff. Um, and if you're a Vikings fan, not the Minnesota Vikings, but the TV show on the history channel, the boy that voiced Jimmy in scary godmother, the revenge of Jimmy has grown up to be Alexander Ludwig and he, it was his first uh, credit. And um, he's now like the main Viking badass on that show. (laughs) And he also was in the hunger games. So, um, Oh, very cool. That's a nice little connection there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Now, is, yeah, is no, Scary really Godmother cool. something you've thought about returning to? Is it, or are you sort of done with that uh, chapter of your creating? Oh, no, I'm, I have many stories I would like to do, and yeah. I was just talking to someone today about doing more. Um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing a lot of, um, a lot of work uh, for other companies right now, and I always feel like, oh, you know, I'll have some time to devote to Scary Godmother when I'm done doing this thing that's paying the bills right now and I realize what I have to do is set aside some dedicated time to just focus on Scary Godmother and um, and make it a top priority Fantastic, yeah the most um, the most recent thing, uh, unless I'm mistaken that, that you released in the comic book medium is uh, the w- Wonder Woman The Last Amazon uh, original graphic novel I'm weird as an artist in the fact that my style changes sometimes based on what I'm drawing and it's nothing that I plan for. Um, but when I was first drawing things at DC Comics like Sandman and, and Wonder Woman way back, I was just the penciler. So when they pair you up with an inker, that changes what your art looks like. Um, sometimes I would ink some panels of my own work if I was able to. Um, but once I um, you know, started doing my own work, I kind of combined a lot of the things that I loved into one thing and watercolor was something I always liked to do uh, so I, I do paint traditionally you know like landscapes and stuff like that and watercolor but it's been a very comfortable medium so I mixed the two at first in Scary Godmother and then I kind of shifted over to just using that as the only way I illustrate comics whether it's black and white um, or full color I'm just more comfortable um, telling a story in watercolor. Yeah, I think that's pretty unique, too, especially in, in the world of comics. I think a lot of people, especially these days, seem to be doing more of that, you know, kind of digital um, type thing. So the fact that, you know, yours is more watercolor based, I think, is also pretty unique and, and definitely helps you kind of stand out. Um, I was yeah, actually. So, it, my, God what was that? You say that a million more times. I said, God bless you, say that a million more times. <laughs> I was um, actually well, admiring this. Like, I never made the shift to digital illustration yet. It's not that I don't want to learn how to use that as a tool. It's, thankfully, that I've always been busy working on something, and I'm not, I'm not very um, easy to teach computer stuff. So I kind of feel like, thankfully, I waited long enough uh, where they've started to create tablets with iPencils and Wacoms with pencils where it's, they've turned the, the computer drawing into something I'm much more familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I, I, have, I have to devote a very large amount of time for me to start to get comfortable with it or remember how to do things in it, even though you can draw with a pencil. I mean, what they've done is they've added 55 steps to what I usually accomplish with like the turn of my wrist, where you have to choose a brush and you have to choose the way the brush reacts and the thickness and the medium and what it looks like. And to me, that's adding a lot of math to the art side of my brain, which is not my strongest suit so it's kept me from from diving into it um 
I have messed around with it some. I, I have an iPad Pro so and an iPencil and, and Procreate, so I do muck about with it, but um, not enough that I could, you know, easily draw a comic with it yet. And I do have to say, I get a great amount of satisfaction of having a physical page of art on my table finished at the end of my day. I find that to be like very satisfying. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever stop drawing um, on paper with physical medium, but um, I mean, I wouldn't mind being able to take something I've already illustrated and then manipulate it somehow and do extra things to it. So I'd like to add the digital skill set to my repertoire, but right now I'm still pretty much fully ensconced in the watercolor. Yeah, I was actually admiring um, a lot of your artwork today on the internet. I was kind of going through it and flipping through and looking things in that um, that watercolor. Like I said, it really helps you stand out. Um, one of the big ones that I noticed was that Beast of Burden Hellboy one shot. Oh. <laughs> um, God, that's so gorgeous. That book is Thank just you. amazing. I love was... the Amish guys in the beginning yes. <laughs> at the front because it had this kind of ser like super serious bent and then the Hellboy humor. Yeah, it was, it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, when you say like watercolor, that's, I think of like when I was a kid, you know, paint by numbers type watercolor. Like this is above and beyond. This is really, really cool <laughs> stuff. And the one thing, I mean, uh, it is really nice to see the watercolor online and stuff because it, the color pops out even more than it does on the page. Um, so it does look great on the screen. And I believe you can get digital versions of all of that stuff, like Scary Godmother, Beast of Burden. I think they are available through Dark Horse um, for your tablet or, or, or whatever. Um, because I do have like one or two issues that I got myself and, and I was like, wow, this looks really bright. You know, I like it. Yeah, it's very vibrant. Um, another piece that I saw that you did that I absolutely fell in love with, it's probably one of my favorite things I've seen of yours is, uh, it was, uh, uh, just a, a headshot of Frankenstein. Um, it looked oh. like it was something you did like maybe like in 2011, I think is what it said. And, uh, I'm a big like horror fan and Halloween, like that's my thing. I love that. It's a big holiday around our house and, um, that Frankenstein you did was incredible. I saw that and I was like, oh my God, I love it. I did a really good creature from the Black Lagoon too. He's my favorite. Um, yeah, I think I did like I did two things called a little book of art, but um, one's like a postcard sketchbook, and um, so they're all with postcards in there, and it's got a um, a couple of, of illustrations, I think, of creature from the Black Lagoon. The same time I did that um, Frankenstein, I did a Wolfman, and um, my Instagram has a lot of paintings on it if you have the patience to scroll through, like the food posts and the cat posts. <laughs> uh, but it's got a lot of paintings. There was one October where I was trying to do, like, you know, scenes from horror movies. So I did I, I did something from um, Night of the Living Dead, you know, the original one, and then some Dracula stuff and um, The Bride of Frankenstein more Frankenstein probably. Um, 
yeah, I love those old horror movies. They're my favorite. Oh, yeah, I just found that Creature of the Black Lagoon. That thing's amazing, too. It's the one where he's kind of, like, looking up with yep. his arms in the air. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things. Yeah, that is incredible. Yeah, so, no, I absolutely love it. That watercolor medium is, is something I've never really seen before. I mean, it's really, you're the queen of it. It's awesome. It looks amazing. Thanks. <laughs> I so, should I should paint the um, shape of water creature. Oh, there you go. Theme. I'll have to do some cute thing of him. So um, we're we're you know those fantastical horror movies uh, basically your inspiration when you were young. You know, just getting into art and and comics or whatever it may have been that that got you to where you are now. Well, the funny thing is, is when I was very little, I was the hugest scaredy cat in the whole world. Even though I would watch, um, I would watch the, you know, the Saturday night uh, horror show here in Chicago was uh, Creature Features, and I would sometimes have to watch it like with a blanket over my head or my hands uh, over my eyes, but you know, with just enough space that you could see it. Even um, and. I was afraid of it, but I wouldn't stop watching it. And then um, I started to spend a lot of my Saturday afternoons then watching Son of Spenguli show. And my regular routine when I was about 12 years old was to take my babysitting money, to ride my bike to the local comic book shop where I was pretty much the only girl that shopped there and buy some comics, get like a sandwich at the deli next door, ride my bike home, hole up in my bedroom, eat food, read comics, draw comics, and watch monster movies all afternoon. It was like, I, you couldn't ask for a bigger <laughs> nerd girl resume at the time. Um, everyone else is outside doing stuff on a Saturday afternoon, and I was holed up with, you know, my monsters and science fiction afternoon and comics and making comics and writing stories and, and everything. Do you still have any? Uh, do you still have any of those comics that you were that you were buying? Oh God, a... I have them all. Oh, okay, wow. That was a huge. I mean, the one thing that I spent all of my babysitting money on to get a, com and I still I don't have a complete run of, but I I was trying to get all of the um, Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin X Men run. I mean, okay. I wanted all the X Men run, but the, the that was my jam. That was my my favorite. I was gonna say I had read online that um, when you were younger, your dad would drop you off at like at the local con there in Chicago, and you would just hang out at John Byrne's table and just watch him draw all day. That was my my first con. Like the reason <laughs> that I went there was the dude that ran, and I'll give a plug to Rick's shop because he's still there. And I had no idea he was only like 19 years old when he opened this shop, and the shop was in the corner of a shoe shine, like a shoe repair shop. So it was this teeny shoe repair shop. And I remember now I have the sense memory of like old paper and comic books, but then shoe polish and glue and stuff like that. So, you know, you're kind of walking into this teeny little makeshift comic shop, getting high on chemicals <laughs> and like, you know, and maybe that was why like every single thing there like was super important to me. It was because it had like some kind of chemical sensory memory. Um, <laughs> But I would go into Rick's shop and buy my comics. And, I mean, he had things from all over the place, like 
some he had some 2000 ADs, so it was like I I was introduced to British comics really early, and um, he had some you know like weird secondhand God only knows where he got them mangas that he would just keep in a box you know next to his spinner racks and his his um you know his bookshelves because he didn't have very much space and I was like 13 and when I remember paying he had a he had a um like a drawing contest at his shop and like I think second first prize was you know $50 or of and then second prize was $15 and third place was something else and my Electra uh drawing won second place and I got, you know, $15, which I promptly just spent in comics at his shop. But as I was walking up to the the register, he had like a little flyer for, you know, Chicago Comic-Con. And it was at a hotel on Michigan Avenue, the Congress uh, Hotel. And I looked at that and he was like, hey, Jill, are you going to go to the Comic-Con? I didn't know what he was talking about. And I was like, what's a Comic-Con? And he said, oh, it's a bunch of guys like me. We get together, dealers, and, you know, we sell a bunch of comics, and they have artists that come and draw and stuff like that. And I was like, oh. And he goes, hey, you should really go to this one because that guy you like, John Byrne, your favorite, he's going to be there. And I was like, my eyes got big and saucy. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. If, if I do nothing else in this whole world, I have to go to this thing. And uh, so I convinced my, my dad to drive me down. And uh, for this first one, he, you know, I think he walked in, he made a little bit of a, you know, like a one course around the show. And I was the only female in the entire place, other than any retailer who had his wife or his daughter there. There were absolutely no girls there whatsoever. In fact, there were no teenagers there. It was a bunch of, you know, like they, the, you, I think the lowest age was like 30 maybe, or 26, <laughs> 26 year old. Yeah. Cause I think it's like some artists were there at that point other than John Byrne and, uh, and then me. And I was hooked the, the very first time that I went there, it was like, it smelled like old paper and there were, you know, portfolios and of, you know, art and people's you know, calendars and old books and, and comics and, I think my dad thought, well, we'll go to this one thing and then she'll never want to come again. And when I got back to the car, I was like, can we go to the next one? Cause it was like <laughs> six weeks later. And, um, John Byrne was at that one as well. And my father, instead of taking his 13 year old daughter into a random hotel ballroom downtown in the city of Chicago, dropped me off at the front and told me to be out at four o'clock. And he was going to go find a place to park and get a coffee and listen to the ball game on the radio. And um, so I went in by myself and wandered around a little bit and had my, you know, I don't know, like $12 on me after I paid the price to get in. And John Byrne was there and there was this giant group of guys around watching him draw. And uh, he had a stack of pages, you know, from the X-Men at the time on his table, which he was selling for an astronomically low amount of dollars, but it was oh, still wow. many more dollars than I had on me and had no other way of getting, you know, like I, if, if I wanted to, I couldn't have called my dad, like, dad, can I have some money? I need this because yeah. one, cell phones didn't exist. Two, I didn't know where my dad actually was at that point. He was somewhere in the car <laughs> listening to the radio <laughs> and, um, 
and I had no credit card or anything like that. I just had, you know, sweaty dollar bills. And so I stood there with my sketchbook, which was filled with my bad drawings of superheroes, Dazzler and Phoenix and the X-Men and Kitty Pride and all of the female characters in the X-Men that I wanted to be like and watched John Byrne draw all day. And Terry Austin was sitting next to him and like, I was terrified. You know, I was very shy. Um, I, you know, was in this big group of guys and a lot of them were asking John Byrne to draw like naked pictures and stuff like that, to which John was calling them perverts and whatnot. (laughs) And I didn't understand that he was, you know, what they were asking for specifically there. And it's, you know, I love that this is one of my 13 year old memories. (laughs) There was a guy that was at, and I have drawn a sketch for this guy since, um, but I will not mention his name. Um, he was asking for John Byrne to draw Vampirella, but, you know, with her thumbs through the top of her costume, pulling the costume aside, like, you know, like suspenders, you know, how guys put their fingers in suspenders and like Mm kind of stretch them out. And John Byrne like looked at him and like was disgusted and kind of harumphed at him and was like, you know, he was like, good God, man, she, she's not wearing anything. You can't use your imagination for that. You know, like, <laughs> and he wouldn't draw it. And oh, wow. I didn't know who Vampirella was at the time. I didn't understand what the guy was asking for. All I knew was that John Byrne was asked to draw something for this man who was older than me, and he yelled at him. <laughs> so, and John Byrne hates when I tell the story because he says it makes him sound like a bad guy. But it is not because um i I think it makes it sound awesome yeah of course (laughs) but in my 13 year old brain was like i can't ask him to draw anything because he'll get mad at me and so when i would get close i was like kind of over to the side so i could watch him draw and it was awe-inspiring but every time i would like people would get their sketch and they would move away and i would get closer to the front of the table i would just back up and let a bunch of people go in front of me and Terry Austin was there at the table with him, too. So both of them were there, which is kind of my blood. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, and But he was watching me all day do this, like, shy kid dance. <laughs> and finally motioned to me and said, you've been standing here all day. Do you want to show John something? Uh, to which I shook my head yes, but said no. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so he said, well... I said, I have a sketchbook. I want to draw comics when I grow up, and but I don't, I'm not very good. And he said, why don't you show it to me? And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, come on, I would like to see it. So I gave it to him, and he's like leafing through everything. And I, I, I feel like I must be sweating bullets at this point. Um, and he's being complimentary. And he's like, wow, this is good. And he's asking me questions about what I like and, you know, do I do art in school and all this kind of nice stuff? And then finally he just pokes John and interrupts him from yelling at dudes about their pretty drawings <laughs> and says, John, this girl's been standing here all day. She has a sketchbook. She wants to be a comic artist. I think you should take a look at it. So, you know, wow. he takes the sketchbook and he starts leafing through it. And he kind of looks down and looks up at me and he's flipping through pages and looking down at me. And then he slams it shut, throws it on the table and he goes, I think we should break her fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Because if she's this good now, think of how good she's going to be when she draws comics. (laughs) Now, 
I don't remember anything after that. <laughs> All I remember is like somehow I got home. And be, and the one thing I remember about that exchange is he didn't say if she draws comics. She said, he said when I drew comics. And I didn't understand at first. Like, I mean, I got scared when he said break her fingers because I thought I made him mad. But then I understood afterwards with after the nice pause and then the payoff line that it was a compliment. Um, he was saying that I was good and, you know, perhaps they didn't want competition later on down the road, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even remember leaving that place. I took my sketchbook and must have ran out of there. And I was so encouraged. Um, and then I got home and I wrote like technically a love letter to Terry Austin. Um, I don't remember what I said to him, but I thanked him and I did all this kind of stuff. And I sent him, I sent it to Marvel comics. And then like a year later, I got a reply back from him, um, which was really, really nice. And I, I kept that letter with me until it fell apart in my school books. You know, like other girls had letters or not letters, but like, you know, pictures of movie stars that they liked or some guy from a magazine. But no, I had a letter from <laughs> Terry Austin in my like school books that I carried with me. Uh, like it was my, you know, my boyfriend who was in the war, you know, because it was, it was encouraging about like my art and, yeah. and how I, you know, like keep, keep it up and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, my father never took me to another comic convention uh, where he walked me through, but he dropped me off regularly after that. And I met a bunch of friends as fans there and I started to meet other people there and I met a small publisher who was set up and I started working for them like when I was 15 drawing comics and working their booth so starting to go to those little conventions is pretty much what started my career in comics because once I started working on little black and white comics for an independent publisher then I went to art school, and then I started working for First Comics, and then I worked for Kamiko, and then I worked for DC, and it just like everything just kind of snowballed after that. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. that's an incredible memory to have, like for a thirteen-year-old to have. That's that's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, I, I love John Byrne as well, <laughs> so that's just yeah. that's epic. Yeah. I love like still like. I'm getting up there, so I should probably try and track him down now. Because I would love to get, I would love, still love to get a sketch from him. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's um, and I do have to apologize, I guess, in advance if there are people coming up to you now, uh, maybe jokingly asking for uh, sort of new drawings. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not new. Uh, no one asks me for that anymore. There okay. was a, a good period of time where I drew some interesting things. Really? Wow. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I would always try and do everything tastefully, but there are some... There, I, I think DeviantArt has taken that away from actual comic cons, where I know most of my friends um, at cons or, you know, there are times when we've sat around having drinks at a con and we're asking, what's the creepiest thing you've been asked to draw? And we all kind of came to the, we all have incredible, incredibly good stories about that. But um, a lot of people have said, you know, no one's asked me to draw stuff like that for years now. 
And then we kind of realized that no one has to, because you can find anonymous people to draw you that stuff online, or That's someone right. may have already drawn it, and it's on some website, or someone has made a, a sub. Reddit page or something that's devoted to whatever your particular cartoon fantasy is or God knows what. Um, and they're much more elaborate than the very simple, you know, can you draw Dawn Star naked from, you know, Legion of Superheroes or whatever. Okay, well, so, it's good to hear went both ways then. Asking for <laughs> mail. Yeah, right. Males as well. Okay, it's good. Um, one question I had is that I noticed that I'd read, I shouldn't say noticed, I read, um, that you designed, um, uh, Daniel Bryan's, uh, walkout attire for, for W for those that don't know, Daniel Bryan, uh, WWE wrestler. Um, and then I noticed that you did a lot of, you've done some like CM Punk drawings and stuff as well, which I was like, well, that kind of makes sense. Cause I guess you're from Chicago. CM Punk's originally from Chicago. So like maybe in, plus he's in the comics. So maybe like that kind of, but how did you get involved with that in designing, I guess, Daniel Bryan's walkout attire? Well, um, I was a big fan of, uh, his, uh, independent wrestling circuit. And, um, my one friend, Joanne Starr texted me one day and, or she said, "Have you seen, have you seen the the Tumblr hot, hot nerds reading comics or whatever?" And I was like, "No." And she's like, "Daniel <laughs> uh, Brian, well, it's not Brian Danielson is reading Beasts of Burden on there." I was like, "Get out, you know." And she goes, "He's on Twitter. You should, you know, at mention him." And I was like, "No way." So then I found I saw him reading you know Beasts of Burden, and I tweeted at him, you know, like what who was his favorite character and piece of burden because he's reading my comic online i will draw him a picture and um he got back to me and told me he, what character he liked and i did him a little painting of his favorite character and then he asked me you know have you ever thought about designing wrestling gear and i was like kind of yes um, <laughs> because it's not like I sit around thinking about that all the time, but when I do watch wrestling, every once in a while I'll go, oh my God, he could have such better gear, you know? Yeah. Um, so he said, I want to look like a superhero. Could you design me some wrestling gear? And I was like, sure. And then we exchanged numbers so we could, you know, text back and forth better information instead of going through direct messages and, um, you know, started talking about, what look he was trying to come up with or did he want to incorporate stuff from indie wrestling? Cause he was in NXT at the time. And, uh, so pretty much everything he wore in the ring, except for like one outfit I designed for him, including his WrestleMania robe for his 18 second match. Uh, and, um, I mean, but I'd worked with other wrestlers before. I mean, I, I had illustrated a couple of books for Mick Foley Yes, and, that's right. Um, and then I mean, like, there, I mean, a lot of wrestlers love comics, and even now, more wrestlers love comics because comics are not as underground as they used to be. And um, so, usually, I somehow like we would meet, you'd meet wrestlers at cons, and you'd have like some kind of mutual admiration society going. Like the very first wrestler I I met was Raven who used to wear my Sandman t-shirt from graffiti designs in the ring all the time. Mm -hmm. And 
so when I met him, I was like, hey, you wear my T-shirt all the time. He was like, what? And then he was trying to figure out who I was. We met him, and then through him, then met some other guys that like comics, uh, like Edge. Um, and then, you know, I met Mick Foley and then became friends with Mick and started illustrating stuff for him all the time. And then I, I went on a little book tour with him at one point, like to a couple places. And then I went to some pay-per-views and got to go backstage where then I met other wrestlers. So when, you know, I absolutely had no fear of just like tweeting at Daniel Bryan. And, and then when, you know, he asked me to design gear, I was like, yes, of course I'll do this. Uh, no pun intended. No, not pun, but no, you know, yes, is a very important Daniel Bryan thing. Um, and then kind of the same thing happened with Punk. I met Punk actually the very first time at um, WWE Hall of Fame when they had the WrestleMania in Chicago. He was sitting behind me and uh, we were, you know, we ended up talking about comics. And then later on, once he was, you know, on TV, uh, with the WW all the time. It was another similar thing. My friend Joanne also, who knew him, texted me and said, you know, I'm here with, you know, CM Punk says he, he wants you to paint a mural in his bathroom. I was like, what? <laughs> and then I thought, this is, I go, this is a joke. And she's like, nope, see, because he had done, he'd done my favorite match of all time, Ring of Honor. He and Samoa Joe did like a 60 minute match at the end of his time in, in, ring of honor that still is like my favorite match that i you know people ask me what my favorite match is and it's it's still that one um and and i thought it was a joke and then joanne you know gives him my number and he texts me and then i have to figure out if it's true and then i ended up meeting up with him and i was like well i guess it is true because the person that i met is actually the punk so um and then he had to do uh, his T-shirt for WrestleMania, and and, um, and I did that. It's kind of a lot of my wrestling stuff at this point. That is incredible. <laughs> it's all one of those kind of domino effect type of things where this happened, and then that happened, and then this thing, blah 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 blah. I yeah, like no, that that's awesome. I like me some wrestling. Yeah, I I was a big fan of wrestling when I was younger. I haven't watched it a whole lot lately, but our other co-host, Alex, he's a huge wrestling fan still to this day. Like, I'll usually watch, like, WrestleMania every year, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I do nowadays, but he's still... He's still huge into it, and... That might be uh, why he's not here tonight, because he's probably watching Fastlane. (laughs) Better not be. (laughs) But, yeah, no, that is absolutely incredible. I love uh, Mick Foley and stuff, too, and I had forgotten that you did some illustrations for some of his kids' books and stuff, so I thought that was really cool when I saw that as well. That was really fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, he seems like a pretty pretty funny guy. He's funny. He's a very sweet man. His daughter's really great. I love Noelle. She's funny. She's hilarious. She's like a six-foot-tall, awesome, exotic model who's hilarious. <laughs> I think the last time I saw his kids were like pictures like in his uh, Mankind book. So I mean they were they were real little. <laughs> I don't think I've seen his kids in years. She's but, what we call a stunner. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible. You've had an amazing, amazing career. Don't kill what, me off. 
<laughs> oh, no, 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 please keep going. Um, I was just going to say, I think, I, is it safe to say, I think that Wonder Woman is probably a pretty big thing in your household? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like my Wonder Woman. Um, I like Wonder Woman in general for what she stands for. So have you heard the, the new casting about Kristen Wiig playing Cheetah? I did. What are your thoughts? There's a lot of people that are kind of back and forth on this. What are your thoughts on on Kristen Wiig being cast as Cheetah? Um, never been a fan of Cheetah, so I'm looking forward to seeing what she can do with or with that part. I don't know how they're going to write the character. I think people um tend to dismiss people that are known for comedic acting when mm -hmm. they do a dramatic turn. Uh, but I find for the most part. I think comedic actors do great when they do dramatic roles and hopefully I would agree. people can cast aside their, you know, I guess uh, their assumptions right away and, and, you know, she was cast for a reason. She's a super talented person. Mm -hmm. it, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the problem, you know, problems people have with it is the fact that, you know, she is not the thing they see in their head, but yeah. you can't, you can't, you can't creatively, um, expand or, or, um, put your stamp on something as a director or writer. If you're trying to please the individual ideas of every single fan that's out there, because it's like, the director's not buying into the audience's ideas. The audience is along for the ride. Like when you're paying your money, you're along for the ride of that tale. Yeah. That you're, whether it's in a comic or a book or a film, you know, you're there because you, you're interested in the character. You have the ability to not pay for it and see it if you don't want to, but you can't, expect that they're going to do the thing that is like the thing in your head or yeah. else you would be the person that was directing it. And I think a lot of times uh, fans get very possessive of characters or creations that are not their own. I mean, at, at the very heart of everything, it's a company owned thing and they can do what they want with it, whether it's crappy, um, which we see a lot or excellent, which we have just recently seen with, certain films so mm -hmm. yeah and uh people just need to realize that they you know they pay with their with their money and if they, they speak with their money rather and if they don't go to see it then you know that'll that'll be a bigger message than going on twitter and just blasting people on there with tweet after tweet it's a very yeah, strange time it is that's a tough thing to deal with um but also it doesn't affect the thing that they've always loved like it doesn't ruin right. You can go back and read the comic that has like your favorite cheetah version yeah. in it because that hasn't changed. Um, and if you notice in the comics, things evolve with the times. You can't keep something set in 1940 or 1960 or 1970 because there's a new generation of people that are coming and reading it. And you have to either keep current or say you're creating period piece and that's the way it's going to stay. Yeah. But none of these characters seem to be stuck in the period they were created in. 
Something that um, really caught me off guard, I was reading an interview you did with, uh, I forget what website, but you mentioned that you were hoping for a Wonder Woman video game, uh, sort of based off of the last Amazon. Um, Has there been any movement on that? Because I would love a Wonder Woman game. No, I just thought, like, um, my my Wonder Woman in Wonder Woman, the true Amazon, is completely different take. Right. Um, I mean, she ends up in the same place that she does when she comes to you know our world but she starts out differently and i just figured like i created an island that has a lot of mythological creatures on it and my idea for that island was it's a place where you know it's kind of this you know the gods in greek mythology or any mythology they're always creating something and forgetting about it you know oh that's right i made this treasure (laughs) this golden fleece and where is that again oh i don't know so I thought that island would be a good repository for a lot of things. That's how she gets her uh, like bracelets and the lasso. They were all adventures, things that she found. Uh, so it, you know, and then there are things that you know she got for different reasons. But I thought, oh my god, it'd be really fun to to do like a D and D style um, adventure game, just based you know to have all the different climates. Uh, because I figured, you know, in my ideal world, the island has, you know, it has mountains. So there's snow and then there's, you know, caves and things to go into. But then there's jungles and, um, you know, other types of landscapes. One, so the Amazons could pretty much create whatever they needed because they would have everything that they needed. But then if it was this um, kind of hidden treasure trove of the gods, you could do just kind of like, adventure gaming there but have wonder woman as your main character and she could fight things and get treasures and you could do mythological stuff or you know but it would be like i was hoping that it could be like adjunct or is adjunct the right word i'm not sure it sounds right in my head adjunct to like a dcu like massive multiplayer game where yeah wonder woman could go there but like maybe other characters could to go there too and it's just like a new landscape to adventure um but that's just in my my fantasy video game wish brain because i like adventure games if i if i play video games at all i only like ones where you can wander around and not necessarily have to fight anything you can just solve mysteries or talk to people or create something or and then search for things i like that kind of stuff more than anything where you necessarily have to shoot them. Um, yeah, that sounds, I mean, that's great. And I, I was always hoping for a Wonder Woman game. Um, I don't know hopefully. if there's going to be one. It has nothing to do with me. Right, as right. Far as it's just an idea um, out there. But that was just, you know, I have these random thoughts that pop into my head and sometimes I talk about them publicly. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, yeah. Uh, so you also, I guess, one other cool thing I found out about you is um and you can confirm this or deny it because it's sort of like on, on the Wikipedia page and sometimes you never know. But in Kingdom Come, uh, Alex Ross modeled Duella Dent after you. Did he do the whole thing? Because I've seen his process where he like invites friends over and gets them in full costume and, and bases his you know his paintings off of that. Was that sort of the process for you or is that just... Uh... Yeah, no, no costume, but yeah, I, I posed for Alex for stuff that he needed. Oh, I awesome. think, yeah, the part where Superman's carrying uh joker's daughter you know like after he captures her it's like he had me hanging over a dining room chair <laughs> taking a picture of my butt and it was like alex can you thin me out a little bit 
But I was like, can you hurry up and take this picture too? Because this chair is very uncomfortable and I feel like it's going to fall over. Um, but for other people, he does have like, he's had full costumes made for oh, okay. the guy that does Superman and other things. But at the time, you know, I just went over there and I think in workout clothes because then he just something that would approximate spandex. Right. It sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a fun time. It was fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I've also um, modeled for Craig Russell for some of his opera comics. Those oh, were wow. a lot more elaborate. Uh, there was a time where he had me not only had all my hair shoved up under a wig, but then the wig, uh, I had like a, a Viking helmet on and I was on a horse. You know, I mean, to, to someone passing by, seeing it, it <laughs> looks like a very low budget film was being made. But really, it was just like photo reference for comics. Wow. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it was it, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to chat with us and, you know, talk about give us these uh, f- phenomenal stories. I mean, uh, that oh. John Byrne one, that's that's like the ideal story to tell someone who's bitter about meeting their heroes to be like, you know what? It can actually be good. Listen to this. Um, I've talked to a couple of dudes who said, well, I met John Byrne as a kid too. And it was not a nice story like that. I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he must've been one of those guys asking for the dirty pictures. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> not every guy in the line was asking for a dirty picture, but that was the one I had happened, you know, like, you know, it went from the difference of John was jovially, you know, like interacting with his fans and people were buying things and everyone was fawning up over him from X-Men and then obviously this guy asked him for something and I think he was more upset not necessarily upset that he asked him to draw a nude like a nude illustration of like a character but the fact that he had he didn't have enough imagination for a character that was pretty much naked already (laughs) to just move aside the one tiny strap that was over her nipple you know it's like dude you can see everything else on this woman pretty much you know all you have to do is just like in your brain, move it over to the left, and then you're fine, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I laugh about it now, but at the time, it was, it was quite shocking. Oh, um, this has absolutely nothing to do with this story, okay. but if we're wrapping up, I, I would like to let people know that... Um, a, a bunch of like four years ago, I did a Kickstarter for a fashion doll of Scary Godmother, and um, people have been very patient and they waited and they waited, and it took four years. But the fashion doll uh, is available uh, to the rest of the world. Um, all of my backers are being sent out all of their dolls, um, but I have a website where the Scary Godmother doll can be purchased as well as um bugaboo plush backpacks uh which is another character from scary godmother and um so if you are familiar with scary godmother from television or from the comics only uh now there is another type of scary godmother that you can get for your very own and the website is very easy to remember uh www.thescarygodmother.com and um, even if you're just going to go and look at it, I would appreciate a look-see because you get to see what took me four years to have <laughs> Yeah. 
no yeah def- definitely uh people should definitely check those out and if they're curious about the actual books themselves i just checked they're on you know comiXology you can still buy the hardcovers and trade paperbacks on amazon so um it's it's readily available digitally and and physically so yep and I, i'm planning on having more in the works of, Fantastic. of them so um and um and any, anything I'm probably gonna put some stuff like that up on my website as well like okay signed and remarked versions um as i can get to them so great come see me conventions like c2e2 um i'm trying to think of where else i'm going to be this year i might be at traverse city comic-con which is smaller than c2e2 convention um in michigan uh over memorial day weekend and um i'm going to sioux city comic-con in the fall and probably New York Comic Con, if I get my act together. And um, I will be in Brazil in December. Oh, wow. Oh. You can find me on more than one continent. Wow. Well, hopefully we see you next year back at Planet Comic Con. I hope you had a good show this I year. I had a great time um, at Planet Comic Con. Awesome. Love. Yeah, we had a wonderful time. We go every year. Um, we always have a really good time interacting with everyone. So, like I said, hopefully we see you again there next year. I would like that very much. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, yeah, thank you. And it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking Yes, the time. you have been a blast. Thank you so much. Hey, have me back. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah if, no, we would love to. I mean, Obviously, if I'm not shy about talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I mean, if, if we see if there's anything you ever want to come on and promote and talk about, just feel free to reach out. We're uh, more than happy to have you back on. I will totally do that. our interview this week with jill thompson and um you know (laughs) it's funny we go into these you know roundtable things and if you can't already tell we have it split up or in to where you know we record at two different times um this week it's only me and matt together on the podcast to chat with each other and it's been a whole minute since it's been just us so it has yeah like I don't know. Most of the time, you know, if I'm not there, it's the three of y'all. It's always usually three of us, but it's not too, too often when there's just two people. And then when there's two people, it's usually not me and you. So, yeah, this is something different, I guess, for this week. Um, And uh, I guess we're going to talk about uh, indie comics a little bit because I have a game, an indie comic game, I guess, for later in this thing. And we're going to see if um, Matt can be put to the test. I'm not going to spoil what the game is yet. But uh, we'll get to it. But um, first off, uh, Matt, uh, what's up? What have you been up to? Not a whole hell of a lot, man. No? Lots of, uh, no, lots of, lots of reading and hanging out. No, I don't know, man. Um, packing up my house, getting ready to hopefully move this week. And get- uh, Well, if you guys are listening to this on Saturday, then hopefully I've already moved. That's that's the goal at this point. Is by the time you guys are hearing this, I'll be in my new house, <laughs> enjoying yourself, right? Living the fat yeah. cat life. Oh man, you have no idea. That's the hope. That's cool. Uh, but yeah, no, reading a lot of indie stuff. Um, we were kind of discussing that a little bit earlier, where uh, 
you know, yeah. Marvel or whatever. You're asking about all these, you know, books of Marvel that have been coming out lately. And I'm like, yeah, no, I haven't read any of that. Sorry. Um, I've been reading, like I said, I've been reading a lot more indie stuff lately. So it's been fun, though. I think I kind of needed a break from the hero world for a while, with the exception of a few titles. Yeah. What are some of the uh, the few titles, just so we can get that out of the way? So the few titles that I'm currently reading and I make sure I'm caught up on every month is uh, Amazing Spider-Man, Moon Knight, uh, what else was it again? Mighty Thor, which is really good. I'm kind of mad that I waited as long as I did to read that book because it's actually really, really solid. And um, the other one is uh, Captain America, Mark Wade, Chris Hamney. So... Out of those comics, do you have one that you would suggest uh, more than the others? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know, because it kind of depends on, on what you're in the mood for, I guess. So let me break it down and, and explain that real quick. So Moon Knight is such a phenomenal book. It's always been one of my favorite characters, so I'm always drawn to Moon Knight. Um, the thing about Moon Knight, though, especially this current book, is that it does have more of kind of an indie feel. It doesn't feel like a stereotypical hero book, um, like a Spider-Man or a Thor. So, I guess, it, it depends on what you're looking for. So, if you're looking for more of like a mainstream, but yet indie feel, I would recommend Moon Knight. If you're looking for just straight out, like, fun hero stuff, um, Mighty Thor is on an emotional roller coaster right now. So I suggest if you're going to read Mighty Thor, it's so fucking good. But if you're going to read it, um, you're going to want to go back in time and and play catch up and read some of these other books first or else it's not going to make much sense. Um, Spider-Man, if, you could probably go back a few issues and pick that up and be able to kind of be caught up on what's going on with Spider-Man. It's another really fun one. Um, and then you have Captain America, which is its own little world. It's sort of like Moon Knight. Like there's, It doesn't really take place... And the bigger Marvel universe, it's sort of its own little, its own little thing that uh, Mark Wade and Chris Samney are doing. But the problem with that is, is that they're only doing this for a couple more issues, um, and then it's been announced um, that they are leaving the book. And uh, uh, Tanishi Coates, I believe that's how you say his name, is uh, going to be coming on and writing Captain America going forward, starting with the July Fourth issue. Um, so we'll see what he does. Cause right now, like I said, Mark Wade's run, it doesn't fit in with the Marvel universe. So currently what's going on, it's just a fun read all by itself. It's a self-contained fun read. Um, and it's Chris Samney art. I mean, you can't go wrong. It's so, so good. So, I mean, and then they're going to DC now, right? Uh, Wade is not. No. Um, I believe it was announced that Chris Samney, God, there was a few artists that they lost. Um, I want to say Chris Samney was one of them, um, that is leaving. He's not necessarily going to DC, uh, but he is no longer exclusive. Like his contract is up with Marvel and he will not be, um, continuing on with Marvel. Um, so what he's going to go do remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, no, Wade is still with Marvel. We just have no idea what the hell he's going to be doing next, at least to my knowledge. Well, it's cool, you know, that DC's bringing in a lot of these uh, different guys. And then Marvel's signing exclusive contracts now. Like, they got an exclusive with Chip Zdarsky 
recently. Yes, they yeah. did. And they also got one with Donnie Cates, too. Yeah, and it's weird how, I guess, all these people are pulling in the talent now. It's like, all right, you either leave Marvel or you're staying here with this contract. You get what I'm saying? It's yep. not too, too many people that aren't, like, I guess, exclusive. And the exclusive deal with Marvel means you can still keep your creator-owned stuff, too. That has nothing to do with it. It's just you can't go off and do, like, DC books or, like, IDW or Valiant or yeah. something, right? Yeah, that's my understanding. Um, obviously, I'm not in the business, but that is my understanding. Um, so, yeah, Captain America 700 is Chris Samney's last book uh, with Marvel. And he's been with Marvel for 10 years now. So, I mean, Bendis has been with Marvel for, or was, with Marvel for probably 10, 15, 12, 13, something like that years. Um, and he just recently left and went to DC and is now going to be writing every single Superman book, which... I don't know how I feel about that, having total control over <laughs> Superman, action comics, etc. Um, we'll see, I guess. Um, he had to never... have pitched a hell of a story, though. I, I don't thing. know, man, because they didn't do that with anybody else. You know what well, I'm saying? I Tomasi, guess. Dude, Tomasi, like, he was doing his own thing, and then you have... Uh, Dan Jurgens, who was doing his... Like, one was doing Superman, one was doing action comics... They were their own little thing that they were doing. I mean, they would sort of tie over or whatever, but like they didn't have one writer doing everything. And Bendis comes in out of left field, literally, and is now going to be writing every Superman title and has complete and utter control over what happens with Superman. And yeah. there's a lot of fans that are pretty pissed off. And I know Mike talked to uh, Patrick Gleason at. Uh, Planet Comic Con a few weeks ago, and he asked him about it. He said, "You know, your guys's run on um, Superman, I believe it is that he's right. I don't think it, or that he's doing the art on. I don't believe it's action. I'm pretty sure it's Superman." Um, he goes, "Superman that you're doing is is amazing. You know what's going to happen with John, Superman's son, etc." And he said, "Man, we had all this stuff mapped out for like the next." hundred issues or something like that. Some, some, a massive amount of issues. He said, we had this all mapped out of what we we're going to do. And like this really cool story we we're going to be doing. And, um, that kind of got taken away from us. Um, and Mike said that you could kind of tell he seemed a little, a little, uh, perturbed, I guess you could say, um, that this book was being taken away from him. Uh, cause they had like this huge story arc thing. And then Bendis comes in and, says, hey, I'm going to do every single Superman book. Tough shit. Okay, so I have a good point to make about this that I just thought of while you were talking. Okay, like, in Marvel, they used to have a lot of different of the same book. They kind of do now, but not really as bad as it was. Um, like, back in the day you would have multiple, you know, issues of, like, Spider-Man, like, Web of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, you know, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, Peter Parker, you know, they had all these different, but it was all written by different people, so everyone kind of got a chance at Spider-Man. And if you were on the Amazing Spider-Man run, you basically, you know, got to pick different events and stuff that would be, like, forced to tie into other things, I guess, with the mm. other titles, just because they'd be so big. But now you look at Marvel, and they don't really do that too, too much anymore. I mean, they were guilty of it like a few years back. And I guess you're kind of like that with 
uh, X-Men. But at least with the X-Men, oh, it's a whole bunch of God. different teams. Okay, the thing is, with X-Men, it's a bunch of different teams. So there's different characters. I mean, it's the same X. It's X-Men, but you have, like, this team has these people. This team has this people. This title has these people. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. it's not a single character like Superman, okay, where, like you're saying, he's getting a monopoly on all the books. But it's weird to me how everyone was saying, oh, you know, Marvel oversaturates the market with books. But then we have something like, uh, you know, Superman or Batman where they get two, three or four like comics a piece just specifically for that one character. But Marvel doesn't do that really anymore. They do a Spider-Man. There's only two, what, two Spider-Man books. There's Amazing Spider-Man, then there's, uh, what's Sadarsky doing? Spectacular Spider-Man? Yeah. Peter um, Parker. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's weird that you see that. But then again, I don't like the idea of one person getting all the books, like you said. Um, I, I How I mean, boring would it have been if Chris Claremont, like, wrote, like, well, I guess he kind of did almost. <laughs> At one point, he almost wrote all the X-Men books. But it's not like you had, um... Let's say uh, Todd McFarlane writing every single Spider-Man book at one time. Well, it, it, we'll see what happens. It depends. I mean, the potential's there for some epicness because of the fact you have total control. If you are, if you were a really good writer, which Bendis has a lot of hits, he also has a lot of misses. Um, so if this is a hit, if it's a grand slam out of the park, and he writes. You know, let's say he's on every Superman title for two years. But in that two years, he puts together one of the most epic stories you've ever read. Kind of like Jeff Johns when he did when he brought back Green Lantern from the dead. Mm-hmm. And he made Green Lantern like a fan favorite again with his run. I mean, Jeff Johns had his hand in almost every Green Lantern book. Whether it was Green Lantern Corps, Green Lantern, you know, whatever the case may be. But he proved um, himself on one issue first, or on the beginning. They didn't just give him full reign right away, did they? Well, no, but... Bendis you know, is getting I mean, full reign right away, though. Yeah, but Bendis is also a giant name in the industry, too. Whereas, at this point in time, Johns had proven himself writing, like, Teen Titans and, you know, other... Hawkman and JSA, and, you know, he had proven himself doing other books. Um, but... He wasn't, at that time, he wasn't the name that, say, Brian Michael Bendis is. Like, Brian, like, let's let's be real. Whether you like him or not, Brian Michael Bendis is a ginormous name in the industry. He is. Huge name in the industry. Um, So, I mean, honestly, it's, like I said, he has the opportunity to do something epic. And I'm not saying that I'm sad that he has a monopoly on Superman. What I am saying, though, is... I'm a little skeptical, and we'll see what happens. Um, Hopefully, he does some really cool stuff, and he makes this really epic Superman story. Um, But the thing is, though, that I'm a little worried about is the fact, unless they go back to being monthly, which to my understanding, both of those books are still bi-weekly, he is writing four books a month. He's doing Superman twice, Action Comics twice. That is four books a month. It's a lot of writing. That is a lot of writing, especially when it's all the same character. You're writing. It's not like you're getting a break and you're like, oh, I'm going to go do a creator-owned book and then come back and like I'm writing four books. Like Jeff Lemire, when he writes four books. But some of it was like creator-owned. So it's not like he's writing the exact same character for four books in a row. So it's 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I've been wrong before, and I'll be more than happy if I'm wrong because, you know, Tomasi and uh, Jurgens really made me love Superman as a character. Like I've said before, I was never a big Superman fan, never have been, um, up until semi-recently. And it really with the rebirth is what kind of got me into Superman. And I fell in love with the character. I fell in love with what these guys were doing. And the fact that they're both being kind of taken away from, from Superman is a little rough. I know when we talked to Jurgens at Planet Comic Con, we asked him what's next. And he said, ah, you know, we'll see. Like, kind of, you know, generic answer. Shrugged it um, off. Yeah, and we had, we Nova had hinted at something about a Booster Gold um, comeback. Because, you know, Jurgens created Booster Gold. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, we'll see. So, I don't know. We'll mm-hmm. see what happens, but hopefully. So, I want to bring up three points from indie guys that kind of made their way into the mainstream now. Okay? okay. Uh, first off, for news for this dude, uh, Donny Cates. Uh, yep. I don't, we'll see. I don't know how much truth is behind this or not. But I saw a tweet where he said he pitched, like, seven story arcs for Venom. Because he's going to be the new writer on Venom coming. Well, I saw him tweet something. I'm assuming he was over-exaggerating. Maybe. I heard him him tweet something that he has like 100 issues planned out for Venom. I mean, and you know, we've talked to other guys too, like Cena Grace, who said he had Iceman planned out forever. He didn't necessarily get to see his vision played out fully. But, I mean, just the idea that, you know, know, a guy like Donny Cates, who made his name in the indie scene came up into marvel pretty quick and then all of a sudden he's like boom blockbuster you know writer for marvel right now with thanos and then uh dr strange and everything when he was coming off of what redneck and baby teeth and everything else which Mm -hmm. i guess is still going um yeah he's still doing them yep yeah like it's crazy to see how like i guess we say you know with bendis oh he's a big name and he just got you know that's why i guess he has four books that he's writing but then you have like a no-name guy or a guy who was smaller you know recently like a big indie guy just get handed all these marvel titles and just be like hey do what you want you know it just goes to show you don't have to be the big name to make that opportunity in the industry i think but okay going back donny cates is now a huge name Mm-hmm. Um, Donny Cates is... He's recently a huge name, though. Correct. Donny Cates is the... What's a good way to explain it? He's, the dude is seriously an overnight sensation. And I don't mean, like, he just started writing books. The guy's been writing books for years. If you go back and read, you know, Paybacks, Ghost Fleet, etc. Like, he's been writing awesome books for years. Just nobody ever noticed or gave a shit um, until God Country. God Country put him on the map. A six-issue book made mm-hmm. that guy know a... F- and it's great. It's such a good book. But that six-issue book made him a freaking superstar. And then he follows it up with um, Redneck, which an- another book, a really great book, but another book that people are going gaga over is Redneck. Um, Baby Teeth, I really like, but you don't hear people talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. But you don't. You should. I think issue nine just dropped. Um, it's a it's a solid read for sure. It's a nice horror title. Yeah, it is. Um, but uh, yeah, like God Country is what. I mean, we even kind of mentioned that when we talked to him about it on the podcast. Like, 
he even kind of said it was sort of like an overnight thing. Like you wake up one day and you're just like, holy shit, like my phone's ringing off the hook, you know, and people yeah. are blowing me up because, uh, you know, all because of this book. And Marvel is one to capitalize on what's popular. Mar- you know, and maybe maybe that's good for Marvel. Maybe that's smart of them um, to cap- the, you know, capitalize on, on what's popular and what's happening now. Um, and so that's what they did. They're striking while the iron's hot. Um, they gave him, uh, and not taking anything away from Cates. The dude's stellar. Uh, but they gave him Thanos, and right out the gate, it, like Thanos 13 is like the hottest issue right now. Yep. It's sold Good for luck a- finding it. Dude, on eBay the other day, it had a copy sold, uh, just raw, the regular cover, $102. Really? Yep. Good lord. I, w- I should have gone to the shop and bought one that week. You should have, man. I'm um, glad I picked one up off the shelf. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. So, yeah, I mean, he's a great writer, but that book blew the hell up. And then Marvel's like, oh, my God, like, look at all the sales we're getting from this guy. Ugh. Let's give him Doctor Strange. Once again, his Doctor Strange has been really solid. Mm-hmm. But at least he's been able to produce quality. But I think Marvel decided to strike while the iron was hot and... uh I don't know. I have, high, I have high hopes for his Venom. I know he says that he was a huge fan of Venom growing up as a kid, so I definitely have uh, high hopes for his Venom because Venom started off really strong, man. You and me have talked about it. We really liked Venom, but I feel like lately it's sort of not. What do we do next? That's how I feel. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't know. I kind of quit reading it. I like it still, you know. Venom's always been one of my faves, but... Maybe I'll pick it back up when this Poison X shit's done. Yeah, it should be done now. They just did the final conclusion issue, so... uh, We should move on to new things. We'll see who's next. Yeah, we'll just have to see who's next. So, one of our good friends that, you know, we've interviewed at least two times now... Um, one of the early, early interviews for Four Guys in a Comic, Brian Hill, he just announced that he's going to be doing a short little story arc, or I think it's like six issues he said or something like that, five or six issues, of uh, Detective Comics. Now, this is someone Mm -hmm. that, you know, way back with Postal and everything, they've been doing all kinds of different, just, I feel like hopping around on different things. But, at the same time, he's also a writer for Ash vs. the Evil Dead, so he's kind of a busy guy, I would imagine, you know. He tried to dabble in Marvel and did that Monsters Unleashed uh, Hulk issue or whatever. Totally awesome Hulk issue. But Marvel didn't keep him around after that. He didn't do anything after that. But now, out of nowhere, here's a guy that in the like hasn't had like a bunch of big, big hits. He was a great writer. Uh, you know what I mean? But he's getting handed a book like uh, Detective Comics, and it's like... Wow, you know, it's crazy to see someone come up from, you know, working in Top Cow and, you know, kind of just like, oh, you know, doing image with Romulus and putting that on hold. And it's weird to see him just be like, okay, I'm on a Detective Comics all of a sudden for my first DC book, basically. Yeah. Um, he's also part of the reason why he has an in with DC. It's not like DC just tagged him out of nowhere and said, hey, um, he has an in with DC because he's also a writer on the new Titans show. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I know he was doing a thing with uh, Wildstorm, too. I think he was doing Deathblow or something like that. He was supposed to. I never read the comic if it came out or not, but I remember seeing an advertisement with him on it. Yeah, he is doing the new—he's one of the writers on uh, the new show Titans. 
Okay. So he is uh, he is doing that. So he kind of got a uh, I don't know how many episodes he's doing, um, but I do know that out of the thirteen episodes that they're doing this season, um, he is writing at least one of them, um, along with Jeff Johns and Greg Berlanti and and all them. So he has his foot in the door um, with DC. Um, with doing Titans. He's actually been doing a lot of TV work lately, from my understanding. Um, so, but it is crazy that they're giving him detective comics. You know, they're not giving him, oh, here's a Booster Gold book, or here's this, or we're going to try you out on this. Like, the fact that they're like, all right, James Tiny, and we're going to give Brian Edward Hill uh, six issues on on Detective. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Um, and he is, I, if you read his Twitter feed, he is beyond stoked oh, yeah. um, to be writing this book. He said that writing detective comics has basically been a dream of his since he was a child. Um, so I'm very, very, very happy for him. He's a, he's a really, really cool guy. And, uh, I wish that dude nothing but success. Yeah, no. Um, I'm excited to uh, check it out. I'm gonna definitely try and get it on my sub list at the comic shop and stuff, just for his run. And um, Ooh, it should be, should be kind read of exciting. Batman. I know current that's Batman. It's not old school Batman. It's current. Yeah. I know that's interesting. I'll give it. I'll give it a chance for Brian. I'll give it a chance for Brian. We'll see how it goes. Now, yeah. the last thing that I wanted to bring up, and I want to say this just because you know. He's really well known in DC, but I want to give him more credit for the stuff he's done with Valiant and some other things. Uh, Robert Venditti, that's how you say his name, right? He uh, Uh, is going to be doing Hawkman for DC now, which uh, sounds pretty cool to me, man. I might actually give that a try. I don't really know much about Mm -hmm. Hawkman. So I was like, I like him. I like his writing on Green Lantern and Hal Jordan and everything. So I'm like, why the hell not try and give it a chance with this, you know? Yep. Yeah, no, Venditti is a solid, solid writer. Yeah, and the um, reason why I bring him up is because of all the XO Manowar stuff and all that, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, Venditti is a, he's a great writer. I, I love, I haven't read everything by him, but the st- everything that I have read by him, I have thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I really, really like Venditti a lot. Uh I remember in the very, very beginning, um, if anybody listened to the old Rebirth podcast with Mike and I, um, and the very, very beginning of uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, I was, uh, it was slow going at first. I wasn't that big of a fan initially, but once he kind of got his footing, that book just took off, and it was was, uh, such a fun ride. Oh, yeah, no. I still get the Hal Jordan and Green Lantern Corps issues in my... I think I have almost every issue, I think, but except the first four or five or something like that. I actually had to read those online because it was... They came out like... I didn't jump on the train quick enough. Y'all had to convince me if you... If anyone out there who listened way back when remembers that Tap and Nova, as we called them back then, had to convince me that this title was uh, the shit, basically. And uh, they did not let me down. I went out and I read the first four or five issues. And that's when I went to my comic shop and I was like, all right, put this on my pool list. And then I've had every issue ever since. Uh, I haven't read them all. I stopped reading it. I think like issue 22, 
something like the early 20s somewhere. And I think mm-hmm. they're on in the issue 40 or something now. I mean, it comes out like bi-weekly still, which is crazy, you yeah, know, how much content you get out. Are, yep. Yeah, you get a lot, a lot. Like, you never have to wait for, like, the next day. It's like, oh, okay, two weeks. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I get a break in between, and then I get... Well, yeah, but, by the time you get around to reading it, you're like, oh, the new one's out already. Well, this is the... Yeah, that's my issue now. I got so backed up, and they were coming out so fast that I just, like, got behind, and then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I'll just collect a large, large chunk of them and then just sit down and read them all one day. You know what I mean? I'm already, like, mm-hmm. 14 issues behind. And it's like, oh, well, you know, at least I'll own it all. I'll own the whole run, basically, except the first five issues. But those aren't then, that hard to find. And then once you get them all, you can do a custom bind. You can We'll welcome you into the world of hardcovers. <laughs> and uh, you can do your first custom bind. It'll be a gorgeous book. I look forward I'm, to helping you with it. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> no, it would be cool. I wouldn't mind doing something like that, right? And then I can get uh, Venditti to sign it for me, and it'll be all in the world will be great. Ooh, man, I'll tell you what, dude. Creators that I've seen love it when you do a custom bind of their book and you take it to them and they start flipping through and they're like, this is awesome. Uh, Brian Azzarello. Um, I got the, the entire Azzarello, a uh, new 52 wonder woman run bound. Um, it was a gift from Mike. Mike originally had it for himself and then he wanted the absolute edition. So he actually gifted me this bind. I took it into Azzarello a couple weeks ago and this dude, I don't know how much you know about Azarello, man, but he is not known for being the most talkative person, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Some people, and actually, funny story, he is married to uh, Jill Thompson. Um, who we just, yeah, week. who y'all yeah, just talked yeah. to, yeah. Yep, yep, so it's kind of weird. And the funny thing is, we didn't know that they were married either until, like, right before the interview. It was kind of weird. Um, we didn't bring it up, though, because that interview is all about Jill and her amazingness. But, um yeah, Brian, you know, we walked up to him and he didn't, you know, he just seemed like he didn't have a lot to say. And I was like, well, I'm going to have him sign this anyway. So I, I took it to him and I gave it to him and he looked at it and just like the, the, his entire aura changed. I don't know. Like he just kind of like got, like he started smiling and stuff and he goes, what is this? He's like flipping through it and. Um, we're like, oh, that's a custom bind of your of your Wonder Woman, you know, New 52 run. And he goes, this is, what? He goes, table of contents? And Mike's like, yeah, yeah, I actually designed that. It's like one of the first things I'd ever done. And he goes, man, this is awesome. And <laughs> I was like, oh, dude, thanks. Like, you know, me and Mike were like, this is awesome. Like, we're talking to Azarello and he loves his custom bind. And he goes, where do you want me to sign it? I said, dude, anywhere you want to sign it, man. Like, it doesn't matter to me. And he goes, nah, this is your bind. You tell me where you want me to sign. And I was like, oh, uh, I guess right here. Like, it was really cool to kind of like, I think that that kind of stuff makes creators days. I think when they, when they um, see the, the love that you have for their work enough that you went in and created a custom bind of their work so you could have it in a nice hardcover format. Um, I think a lot of creators would find or would find very flattering. Um, I know when uh, Greg Small, like Nova has a Moon Knight run of Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood that's a custom bind and Smallwood loved it and you know signed it and drew a little sketch on it for him and things like that. Um, Jai Lee, I have a custom buying the Captain America Jai Lee run, um, that he, he really dug and asked once again, this is a custom bind. Where do you want me to sign it type of thing? This is your book. Um, 
So that was pretty cool. I mean, I think people just, they really, when you custom buy and stuff like that, man, it's from the heart. You're not doing it because, like, oh, I, I, I want to buy. Like, you're binding it because you love the material and you want to, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. It's a you labor know, of love. I was going to say, you know what might be a cool, like, uh, project idea for maybe your next bind or something is um, next time there's a convention with one of these guys that you want, like, collection binded or you want to bind their collection, maybe beforehand, like, before you bind it, uh, go to them at the convention and ask them if they'll do a commission for you. And then you can maybe take that and print it as the cover for it. And you can have I, your own custom cover yes. for the bind. I actually did that. Um, what? I didn't oh, pan cool. out. The, I, I it, it didn't pan out, but I I actually did that with my Specter bind. Um, I have the Ostrander Mandrake um, bound into two volumes, and I wanted the the connecting faces on the spine, which I ended up taking from issue thirty six. That cover we kind of used that, but um, I wanted a a Mandrake commission for my custom bind. Um, I thought it'd be super cool to have an original art piece on my custom bind. So I reached out to Tom and, uh, he was all about doing it. And I was like, yeah, this is gonna be so awesome. I said, it's going to be for this bind. If we could do it within this time frame or whatever. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. And then after that, we kind of lost touch and the bind ended up getting done before I could get back in touch with Tom and get it done. And I was like, ah, oh. I was like heartbroken because I was so hoping for like a really cool Spectre Tom Mandrake original art piece for my custom bind. That's cool. But, well, yeah, I mean, it's not cool it that y'all be... lost touch, but it's a good no, idea. No, no, no. Yeah, no, it's an amazing idea. I absolutely love that idea. Um, I actually have a lot of binds that I want to do and binds that are in the works. Um, but the problem is a lot of the people that i'm binding that i would i i uh, have communication with are the writers not the artists mm -hmm. so if i were to ask the writer like hey i'm gonna do this custom bind of your work oh that's awesome yeah i mean that'd be like asking brian hey can you draw me something for the he's gonna be like what like nova jokingly asked jason aaron to like draw something in a southern bastards book and Latour was sitting right next to Aaron, and uh, Aaron goes, uh, I'm just the writer, he's the artist, and Mike's like, yeah, no, I get it, like, I know who you are, I just thought it would be funny to have the writer do a little doodle in my book, and he's like, oh, uh, yeah, no, I don't do that, and he kind of, uh -huh. like, handed it off to Latour, and Latour made a joke about how he's grumpy or whatever, but, um, yeah, like... Yeah, I don't know, man. That would be so dope, though. Yeah, it would. All right. Well, I want to get to a uh, game I came up with real fast, okay? That has to be real quick because we have a phone call to make. We do. It's going to be quick, so we'll, we'll get through this real quick. The name of the game is, is it an indie comic or am I bullshitting? Oh, uh, so, like, making up something. Right. So, okay. I have okay. a stack of comics in my hand, okay? They could or real. could not be a real comic, okay? Okay. I'm going to read out the title to you. I may mention a, uh, you know, a creator on it if it's someone you're familiar with or a uh, company that it might be by. Or I might just be lying and it might just be something completely just different. That you made okay? up. That I made up. But all you have to tell me is if the title of the book is real or not. 
I figured okay. some of these creators and stuff may or may not uh, give you belief or disbelief that they actually did a stupid title like this. Okay? Okay. <laughs> It'll be fun. All right. So, our first comic that I have for you, okay? It is by someone named Larry Young, which I've never heard of. I don't know if you have. And it's an image comic, number one, okay? Astronauts in trouble. Oh, yeah, that's real. You think it's real? Yeah. You How, how sure are you? Like 99.9. Have you heard of this comic before? No. You've never heard of this comic, so it's not, you're just taking a stab. No, I, f- I, have a, I have a gut feeling that it's a real comic. Okay. Well, you're correct. It is Astronauts in Trouble by Image Comics, number one, by Larry Young and Charlie Adler. And it actually has a quote on the front of it. The space program plus the media plus the terrorism equals a comic just close enough to reality to be scary. Entertainment Weekly. Well, all right. Maybe it's good. Maybe. All right. So moving on to our second comic, okay? This is by Mark Guggenheim, okay? And it's from Oni Press, okay? The Mm -hmm. comic is called Stringers. Yeah, I'll say it's real. You think it's real? Yep. You're correct. Yeah, it's real. Stringers by Ani Press, number one. Um, I don't Did know. Did you say stringers out. or strangers? Stringers. Oh, that is what you said. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, our next comics. We're blazing through this because we got a phone call coming up. Um, is by Philip Sevy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we All know right. Philip. This one is called Nine Achilles. Oh. Who's the publisher? It is Image. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't. Uh, we'll say it's real. It is not real. Well, this is Athena 9. Well, there's Aphrodite. One X. It's a spinoff. Either way. I don't. I think we're probably just totally wrong. We don't know our new Roman numerals, apparently. Um, but yeah, Ryan Caddy, Philip Sevy, Athena 9. I thought that would give it away because it's Top Cow. And I, this is a pretty like semi-well-known title, I thought, anyway. All right. So, next one is from Quality Comics. Okay? Never even heard of it. I, it's a United Kingdom comic. The name of the comic is Halo Jones. I'll say that's real. And it is Athena 9, by the way. Okay, I was... Okay, cool. So, what'd you say? This is real? Yeah. That 100%? Like a, yeah, that sounds like a book. Well, you're right. Halo Jones. I feel like old. I've actually... I feel like I've actually heard of that one before. Maybe. I've never heard of Quality Comics. It looks like it's from like never the heard... 80s or something. Yeah, I've never heard of Quality Comics, but Halo Jones sounds familiar. Like It sounds like something that I've heard of before. I'm going to be real with you. It kind of looks like a uh, Jim Lee-like character, almost. It's hard to tell on the little screen, oh. but yeah. Yeah, kind of. It looks like something like Gen 13 or something. Yeah, kind of. I don't know, but we'll see. Okay, so this last one, okay? Mm-hmm. does not 
have a publisher on the cover, so I can't tell you who published it. And I'm okay. not going to open it up and figure it out anyway. It also doesn't have any of the uh, the creator's names on it. It's like a double fold thing. Uh, okay. All right. So it is called <laughs> Double Impact. Oh, my God. I'm going to say that's real and it's based off the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie from the 90s. <laughs> you think, oh, well, are you sure? Yeah. Okay. It's not based off the movie, but it's one that you've seen before. Oh. High Impact Studios. It's actually on the back of the book is where the, the thing is. It's not on the front. Um, but yeah, it's a little uh, risque kind of comic yeah, there. Yeah, it is. It's uh, super 90s. This looks, I think it's from 95 or 96 or something like that. She has double impact in she her breasts. Double impact. I almost thought about changing the name to Double Penetration, and then I was like, he's going to know that's fake so much fast, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I only did one fake one, and uh, you got them all right, basically. Well, I missed one, but yeah. Minus one. But uh, yeah, uh, that was actually from a little pile of comics that I got in the mail randomly from a guy who sent me free comic books who listens to the show. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. A uh, really cool guy. He's been trying to uh, get a hold, get me to finish my Silver Surfer run for a while. Ryan Johnson, he holds uh, auctions on uh, Facebook, actually, for oh, comic books. Yep, yep. I am familiar with Ryan. Yep. Johnson in Wisconsin, if you want to yep. look him up on Facebook. He has a bunch of comic stuff. Anyways, I guess that's going to wrap up our uh, podcast for this week, guys. Um, it's been great talking to uh, Matt here about comics like it is every week. It's a pleasure. Yes, uh, and Jill, thank you for talking with me and Mike this week. We greatly appreciate it. You were a pleasure to talk to, and we would love to have you back. Awesome. Yeah, and then maybe next time we can actually talk a little bit of wrestling and stuff, and we can become <laughs> best friends forever. But who knows? Until then... I guess uh, this is four guys uh, signing out. We'll see you later. <laughs>